Welcome to Beyond the Sermon. I'm Pastor Dave Rudat from Emmanuel Lutheran Church in Shirley. I am joined by Pastor Will Harley. Hello. Hello. And Pastor Dave Endorf. Morning. We all three of us are here to, today looking at the God's Word for the 19th Sunday after Pentecost. If you are in the new lectionary or the 20th cent- Sunday after Pentecost, if you are in the old lectionary. And we have a special treat today is that all three of us preached on different texts. So you're going to get all three of the texts today from three different pastors, and uh, and away we go. So good morning, uh, Rach, and we will uh, get the first text up here. We're going to do something a little bit different for the those who are watching online. The text is printed for you there on the side, and so you'll just have to see the other two guys there. It's from Ezekiel 18, 1 to 4, and then 25 to 32. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you mean, you who keep repeating the proverb concerning the soil of Israel? Fathers eat sour grapes, and their sons' teeth are set on, age, on edge. As surely as I live, declares the Lord God, you will never again use this proverb in Israel. Indeed, all souls are mine. The soul of the father is mine, just like the soul of the son. The soul who sins is the one who will die. But you say the Lord's way is not fair. Listen now, house of Israel, is it my way that is not fair? Is it not your ways that are not fair? If a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and practices unrighteousness, he will die because of it. Because of the unrighteousness that he has practiced, he will die. But if a wicked man turns from his wickedness that he has done and practices justice and righteousness, he will preserve his life. Because he has seen and turned away from all the rebellious acts that he has committed, he will surely live, and he will not die. But the house of Israel says, the Lord's way is not fair. Is it really my ways that are not fair, O house of Israel? Is it not your ways that are not fair? Therefore, I will judge each one of you according to his ways, O house of Israel, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your rebellious acts, so that you will not set out a stumbling block that makes you guilty. Throw off from yourselves all your rebellious actions by which you have rebelled, and obtain a new heart and a new spirit for yourselves. Why should you die, O house of Israel? For I take no pleasure in the death of anyone who dies, declares the Lord God. So, repent and live. So, uh, my, the focus for the Sunday that I had, uh, that I used in all three of the lessons, was on personal accountability. Uh, the sermon theme for Ezekiel is who's to blame. And although the text is... God's people blaming God for their problems. Also in the text is God's people blaming their ancestors, their fathers, their grandfathers. And uh, so I used that. That was really my principal law section, was how we don't take responsibility for our own actions. We want to search for somebody else to blame. So when it comes to families or relationships, somebody says we do something wrong, we immediately say it's somebody else's fault that I did that. Kids do it. Adults do it. We do it when we talk about work. You say, how's work going? And you are focused on, well, it, you know, work would be fine if I didn't have to work with anybody else and all those things like everybody else's problems or everybody else is the reason why um, my work isn't going well. And so we, instead of trying to think of and look at our own lives and look at the, our own ways that we're handling ourselves, we are so easy to push the blame. That was the law section. I did like that uh, proverb. I did explain it a little bit about the, uh, 
eating of the sour grapes. The fathers eat grapes that are, are not ripe, and then the children's teeth are set on edge. We th- set on edge for us, and that connotation might seem like they are sharpened, but actually the, it means that they're, they're flattened. Your teeth are no longer sharp, can no longer tear through that meat because they're eating foods that um, don't sharpen your teeth at all. So that was kind of the, the proverb, just the idea of it's somebody else's fault, not my fault. Um, and so anyway, as I got into the law, the gospel section, of course, you have to go to Christ on the cross and say, this is the guy who um, was tenacious and gritty and said, even though I'm not to blame, I'm going to take everybody else's blame. I'm going to take your respons- I'm going to take responsibility for your actions. And on the cross, Jesus could have pointed the finger at everyone and said, you put me here instead. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And so empowered by the forgiveness that we have in Christ, now we uh, will move forward saying, let's take responsibility for our actions, knowing that Christ has taken our blame for the past and now gives us uh, new life uh, so that we would live. And so I did kind of pick up on the last verse of repent and live, that we live in Christ. It's found in Christ. Um, our, any adversity that we face in life is always meant to point us back to Christ who takes on our blame for the, the faults, that we, the sins that we have done and the faults that we have, the, think, the mistakes that we have made. Um, and now because of him, now because of the righteousness that we have from him, now we live. That's the gist. Very good. I like that gist. Um, I guess, you know, dealing with, uh, when I look at the text, one of the things that, that I think is that hurdle that you go through is is in the last half of the text, you know, the idea of throwing off yourself uh, from yourself. Uh, these rebellious actions, you know, obtain this new heart. Um, how, did you, how did you work your way through, through that? Um, I didn't say that it's up to you to repent. I just basically was framing it in terms of, um, assuming that this is going to happen because I'm proclaiming the law, that you're going to take responsibility for your own actions. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, it is, uh, it was all under the, I think I felt, and again, I, that second half of the text, I didn't really a- attack as hardly as I t- attacked the first four verses. The soul who sins is the one who will die. And, and, uh, the, the, the major hurdle that I had was the, what all the kids learn in confirmation and the conclusion where the father punishes the, the children for the sins of the father to the third and fourth generation. And so that was the, I clarified uh, on that section where God is holding each person accountable, but the sins that you commit do, does have a way of, if, if you aren't, and the example I used was, if you're not uh, treating God as important, what are your kids are going to? What are you, how are your kids going to think about God? If you sure. are taking God's name in vain, what are your kids going to do? You know, just that that kind of thing. But not that God is um, doing what the Israelites were accusing him of doing was punishing the next generation for the the actual sin of the previous generation. Sure. Oh, very good. I was just actually doing a, a search in the. Um, the file here on that text in 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 he or in Greek in the in the uh, Septuagint. It's interesting that the, the very end of that text, um, so repent, 
isn't even part of it in, in the Septuagint. Um, so I found that to be um, interesting that it just ends with the Lord's desire that no one die um, as part of the text. So not that it, it matters. Like I said, it, I mean, and the t- I just think that that's interesting that, that the, the call to repentance is there. Well, and I appreciate how you handle, handle that call to repentance because I, th- I think sometimes I overthink things. And is it just a call to sorrow over sin or is it a call to sorrow and trust here? And, and the way you handled it, I think you cover both bases mm-hmm. and, and that's a nice thing. So. Oh, absolutely. I, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. No. Yeah. It's in the Hebrew, the call, the call to, to, uh, um, uh, it's in the Hifil, right? Yeah, it is in the Hifil. People wouldn't understand that. <laughs> For those of you listening who don't understand that, Hifil is the, the form of the Hebrew verb that's really a command. Do this. And so just basically, it's the way a, a Hebrew writer would say a command. Right. Right. So return. Do that. that do that instead of dying. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. No, I like it. Um, I think that, uh, I, I think it was yesterday that you had mentioned, um, um, that one of your key terms was narcissist. Yes. Uh, I did talk about narcissism. Yeah. So that, that resonates with me. Um, I am, I'm definitely one of those people, um, that, that struggles with that. Also, I'm one of those people that says my job would be great if I didn't have to deal with people. So I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that the law struck very, very well. And it happened to strike me the day after when my wife says, you made a mistake here in the bulletin. And my first inclination, and I verbalized it, was, well, if you had actually given me an announcement to give, then I wouldn't have made a mistake. (laughs) (laughs) And and she pointed out, she's like, "Uh, Dave. uh." (laughs) So I was wrong. So it was nice that I preached on it the day before, because then I was able to call myself to repentance and live in Christ. Yeah, be called in Christ. Brother had a brother in the ministry who's now retired, and one of the things that we would say to each other when we realized, one of us realized that we were complaining to each other too much was, "Yeah, ministry would be great if it weren't for the people." And it was just that reminder that, yeah, if there were people, we wouldn't have ministry. And yeah, but we'd find someone else to complain about, like God, like God. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, (laughs) I mean, that was that was pretty much Adam. Adam's like, well, I'm just going to hit them both right out of the park. You know, I'm going to blame my (laughs) woman that you gave me, God. So really, it's your fault. So Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. But no, that's a, that that it was um, a really good approach to the text. I think um, is is a very good approach to the text. So I think I, I think when you when you were reading it, my my mind wants to run to the end, um, and and kind of bypass some of the other sections in there because I want to I want to run to the end and say, you know, I guess if I was going to approach it, I would have run to the end and say, you know, I can't return to the Lord. He commands me to, but I can't. Um, he commands me to take off all of these things and to throw, I mean, 
these are all good things that the Lord doesn't desire for me to die, but I can't do any of them myself. And I, I would have probably had the tendency to make that a law. And so I'm very appreciative how you approached it and, and, and didn't. Yeah. Uh, the soul who sins is the one who dies. I think I've said that in a sermon more than once, and I'm not sure I'm always clear on the context and I'm very much cemented in the context now that this is a, a, a call to personal responsibility. Awesome. Yep. I love it. And, and I think for Ezekiel, since, since Will talked about how he would have preached it, I, I think Ezekiel's talking to, to, he, to Jews who kind of had, you know, on the surface, they had a point, you know, here we are in exile and it's not maybe our fault. We're in exile. It's our, our parents' fault. They got sent into exile, and now we're here stuck in Babylon. But no, you guys are just as much sinners as they were. You're doing the same sins. You're you're just as bad, you know. So stop complaining about it. And, and your words show it. The fact that you're complaining about your parents and blaming God for being unjust shows you need to repent. And yeah. Good, good text. I, I, you know, the idea of personal responsibility is something I think we, we definitely need to hear more of, um, in our world today, um, that you are, you are also personally responsible for, for the things that are happening and that there is also forgiveness for you. Um, not just out there, you know, yeah, forgiveness floats around, but, but for you specifically. So good stuff. I like it. I'm, I'm liking today. Today is a good day. We get to tackle all four or all three of the the uh, the readings. So let's get on to the next one then. Philippians chapter two. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship from the spirit, if any affection and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like minded, having the same love, being united in spirit and having one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or Empty conceit, but in humility consider one another better than yourselves. Let each of you look carefully not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Indeed, let this attitude be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Though he was by very nature God, he did not consider equality with God as a prize to be displayed. But he emptied himself by taking the nature of a servant. When he was born in human likeness and his appearance was like that of any other man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Um, this is where, yeah, I, I just like the EHV translation better. I, I think it's a lot more clear about what Paul is trying to convey. Um, you know, specifically when, when it talks about vain conceit, you know, what, what does that mean? Um, you know, it's just emptiness. You know, what does it mean to be found in, in human likeness and an appearance of a man? Um, you know, the, this is something that's troubled the Christian church and they've tried to answer for forever. Um, so, so looking at this, I talked about, you know, we, we often will 
we'll kind of do our best to to reduce God's command to love our neighbor as ourself to like the the smallest amount of love that we possibly can. You know, and I'm going to do the least amount for my neighbor I possibly can. And I used an example of a a guy who said, um, I want to be left alone. And so I, I leave my neighbor alone because that's what I want him to do for me. You know, Wasn't um, that the golden rule? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And, and Get off my lawn. Isn't that the golden rule? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. And turn down your music. <laughs> um, so I, I talked about, you know, like, uh, you know, if you were going to loan yourself money, how would you do it? You don't loan yourself money. You just give it, you know? So if your neighbor needs money, how do you help them out with money? And, and I went through things like that and, and, um, and so what is our, our attitude towards, um, our neighbor? What, how are we supposed to love our neighbor? Um, when God tells us, you know, that we are supposed to consider our neighbor better than ourselves. Um, and then, you know, I, I've talked about, this is why we are, are thankful that uh, Christ actually did it. And, and that the point of what Paul is, is telling the Philippians here really is to make their joy complete. And so I, I talked about, um, you know, what, what Paul had done in his second missionary journey and how he had been uh, frustrated in, in preaching so that he was driven by God up to Philippi and, and then joy of finding Lydia and the, the Philippian congregation and how they supported him in his ministry and how, you know, they were mature in their faith and they had um, both spiritually and financially supported him and that that's his motivation for writing them, that, that these are Christians who know what God has done for them and so he's not berating them about all of the things he they haven't done. Instead, he he wants them to see themselves as Christians and to have the joy of, um, you know, friendship and, and love that's based on God's love for us. And I talked about what a joy it is when we can have, you know, those people in our lives where, you know, when things go wrong and you're miserable, you can be around somebody who's okay with you being miserable and not going to try to make you feel better, you know, and, and, and that's the blessing Paul wants for them to have. Uh, and so it's all based on what he lays out here in the work of Christ. And I, I put up a picture of a first century Christian home and talked about how Christ emptied himself and he was a, a human just like us, and he did chores just like we do. And he had a had a little goat, and you know he cleaned up after goats. And um, 
other chores that he might have done, you know, because, and he did them just like we do because he gave up the free and the full use of his divine power. You know, he did them with hands. He, he did them with, when he went to fetch water, he did it with feet and, um, and he did it with a daily grind uh, time after time, because that's how he takes care of us. You know, not just with one big flashy gift, but day after day after day, he is there for us. And that it, it's easy to be obedient when you like something and, and they tell you to do something you like, but he was obedient to death and death on the cross. And that's where all of this led, where he paid for our, our selfishness and our, our laziness and our unwillingness to help and all of our sins are are taken away and that's what we have in christ and so now when we look at other people um you know we, we see them differently and and so i i talked about how you know, one of the biggest problems when it comes to helping people is is asking that question, well, why should I help them? You know, and so we look at people and we judge them and say, there's something about this person that God said is so valuable. I want them in heaven for all eternity. And, and I want them in heaven so much that I'm going to die on the cross to pay for their sins. And we may not see it and we may not understand it, but by faith, we know that's who they are. And so we, we want to find out, we, we want to see what it is. And, and, and they may even be family members and we don't cut them out because they did something small or tiny against us because they said something or they did something, but we, we love them and we forgive them and we, uh, we serve them because this is God's love for them. This is who they are. And and we want to find out. We want to see who they are. And and this is how we consider them, because this is what God has done for them. And this is who God is. And so, you know, that was that's the guidance we have then, is the third use of the law. Very good. Good approach. I don't, I I know you said before the show that you, uh, you didn't feel as if you were able to hit the uh, uh, this particular text out of the park, but I mean, if you said remotely close to what you shared with us today, I think you did a very good job of of sharing the love of Christ and and Him crucified for sinful people very well. I appreciate that, but well, good, that's there's so familiar. much in Philippians too. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> I'm, I'm my comfort is that. God forgives me and that the Holy Spirit works. Someone needs to. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Someone, needs to. Someone needs to. Absolutely. Yeah. No, you did a really good job. I, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm, yes, you did a, a fabulous job because that's a, <clears throat> you, you get into that text and, and very much you can, again, rush to the end, right? And, and fail to see this, the beauty of how Paul builds it up and how he's really, he's, he's putting, the two sides against each other. He's putting, he's putting us against who Christ is and what Christ has done and, and saying, you know, um, really you, you have in the back of your mind, well, if this is who we are, why would Christ do this? 
at all. And the answer, you answered it so beautifully. So. I do like how you brought this text to the everyday where you're talking about how it's God doesn't expect the big things from us, but the everyday uh, considering others over themselves and talking about how Christ did that for us and the, and the carrying of the water and the, the feeding of the animals and, and just everything that you, and I think sometimes uh, as we hear about Christ, we do sometimes jump to the end Well, he was crucified and he died for us. But just that every day, always considering other people ahead of us, ahead of himself, and how um, we can find strength from him to do just that, and how difficult that is for us to do, and how we want to always want to do the big things, because secretly in our mind, that means that gives us carte blanche to be a jerk for, for the rest of the time. Well, at least I did this big thing on, you know, on this day. You know, I did my one good deed for the day, and now the rest of the day I can be, you know, is for me. And and to recognize that what we are measure we are being measured against, or what God has called us to be, is the, the same call that Christ fulfilled for us, which is one hundred percent of the time in the mundane, in the everyday. Yeah, did you bring up the, his invention of the 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 higher table? <laughs> That's a chosen reference. <laughs> Oh, oh, sorry. I did not. I have not actually watched The Chosen, so I, I didn't uh, catch that. Anyway, there's an episode of The Chosen where Jesus, being the carpenter, invents the the higher table than what they were using. It'll catch okay. on. It'll catch on. Yeah, it'll catch up. So, no, very good. Oh, that's super small. So I got to move myself over here again. So Matthew 21, Will, do you want to read Matthew 21? Uh, I suppose I can. <clears throat> as long as I'll, you'll be able to move it down when I, when I needed to. You just don't uh, want to so, read my face, huh? <laughs> Duck. The, the anger on it is just. <laughs> It'd be fine, Dave, except your head is so big. Then, you know, just is distracting. Uh, so when Jesus as went, as long as you temple, know, all right, all right, here we go. Uh, when Jesus went into the temple courts, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, "By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority?" Jesus answered them, "I will also ask you one question. If you answer it, I will tell you by what authority I do these things." The baptism of John. Where was it from? From heaven or from men? They discussed it among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we are afraid of the crowd, since they all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. Uh... Okay, he said to them, then I will not tell you by what authority I do these things. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go to work today in my vineyard. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. He came to the second and said the same thing. The second son answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said to him, the first. And Jesus said to them, Amen, I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, but you did not believe him. 
However, the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him. Even when you saw this, you did not change your mind and believe him. Thus ends the gospel of our Lord. And so um, I did preach on the gospel, and I will be the first to say that um, in the ninth hour, I completely and utterly changed my course. Uh, I struggled. I, I, I struggled. We, we did our text. Uh, we went through, we translated, uh, we talked about it. Um, but I had, I had a lot of struggle trying to meld the, the, the question of authority and the questioning of Christ's authority with the parable and, and its ending. And I had, I had a, a very hard time trying to put that all together. And so I wrote a sermon um, in, earlier in the week. I wrote a sermon that was just going to deal with the, the, uh, the parable. And, and my sermon theme was, uh, um, which son are you? And then in the ninth hour, I, I kind of woke up in the early morning on Sunday and I'm like, that's, I'm, I'm missing it. I'm this is not what, <laughs> what it's all about. And so I went back and I, I kind of reread and re, re, re went through all my notes and, and things and, and toiled with the authority idea and, and recognized the whole parable deals with the father's authority um, and, and deals with it's the father who, who is giving his authority to his children. And um, one denied it, threw it away, but yet um, then later received it and took hold of it and lived in it. And the other, the other said, I'll take the authority, but then did nothing with it. Um, And that changed my entire sermon to, I have a question for you. So my theme changed to, um, I have a question for you. And uh, um, I, I pursued the idea of the, the, the questioning of God's authority, of, of Christ's authority. So the intro of my sermon very, very clearly just kind of walked through. Um, we're in the last week. Things are coming to a head. You know, the the... The palm branches have been beaten into the ground. The withered fig tree has been put on the compost pile. The uh, the 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 tax collector or the the not the tax collectors but the the money changers in the temple are are uh, on the lookout for the lunatic Jesus to come back and and destroy their tables once again. Um, and I said, you know, the the chief priests, the elders, the ruling class haven't been able to find a problem with anything Jesus said. And that's the problem they, that they, they haven't been able to, they have not been able to poke holes in the things he's saying. So they attack his authority. They say, who gave you the right to say these things? Who has given you the right to do these things? And then I kind of brought that into I brought that into just the, the kind of the concept of saying, you know, authority is always given power is something that we use to take, to enforce what we want. Strength, we can gain, right? We can gain our strength, but authority is something that is always given. And then I, I so I kind of moved in and I said, you know, the questioning of authority, I said, you know, we, we live in a country with a constitution. How many of you think that that has authority? And, and some people are kind of raised their hand. And then I said, you know, we have a president. How many people think that he has authority? How many of you think he has authority? And I said, okay, we have cops. How many of you think they have authority? And I said, you know, if we we live in a country where we no longer we no longer give that piece of paper written so many years ago and signed by people long since dead, if we no longer give that 
authority to that. It has no authority at all. It's just a piece of paper. I said, the man who is our president, he only has the authority because of the will of the people who have, have given that authority over to them. And I said, I said, the, the cop has power in his gun or his taser, but his authority is one that is given the respect that, that we will listen and follow the rules that he has. And when he pulls us over and we listen to him is because we have given him that authority. And I said, Jesus is unique in the sense that no one gives him the authority he is the authority. And I said, you know, he could have at any point told the, told these guys, I am the alpha and the omega before Abraham was, I am, and go through all of his, his miracles and, and the commanding of the ocean and the waves. And, uh, that would have been proof enough, but he doesn't. He, he then, he, he instead turns around and he points back to the ministry. He points back to, to the authority given to those he are his own in the church. And he says, let me talk to you about John who has, who gave him his authority. And, and really in the background, you're thinking I did <laughs> and, and he used it. Um, and, and so, so I kind of walked through there and then my law section was, how have you handled the authority God has given you? That was my law section because I kind of, I, I said, I said, that's my question because that was my theme. Let me ask you a question. So my question to them was, how have you handled the authority God has given to you? The authority to, to bind those who are unrepentant and to loose those who, who are repentant. How have you handled that authority? I said, because that was the authority of John, right? John, John was, there, was sent to, to bind those who lived in unrepentance to call to uh, uh, call people to repentance, and it was a it was it was a ministry of righteousness in the Lord. And I said, He has given that same ministry to you. How have you handled it? And um, of course, the law section is not very well, <laughs> myself included. Right? Um, I'm I'm very good at binding people. It's the forgiving people that I don't like um, and that I, I struggle with. And Kind of going through through that and then um, wrapping it all around and saying, you know, ultimately it is the father who who calls us into this and by his son equips us into this. And I said, uh, often we are the first or the second son where we, we come here, we, we hear the call, we hear the authority being given to us as the Lord speaks through his gospel and says, now go and share. And we say, yes, sir, I'm going to do it. And then we leave and we don't. And I, and, and so my, my gospel shift was let us all here today be the first son. And I want to hear from the pew. Everyone say, no, I'm not. And then come and receive from our Lord, his body and blood, his bread and wine in bread and wine for the forgiveness of your sins. Receive again the proclamation spoken over you that you are forgiven. Receive again uh, from his words to your ears, um, everything that the Lord has made you and called you to be, and then go and do it anyway, <laughs> because that's our call. And, and so I, I, I'll have to say when I was done with the sermon, uh, there was gospel in the sense that I proclaimed to them, your sins are forgiven for every time you have been the, the second son saying yes, sir, but didn't. Um, but, but I did feel, and maybe it's because I'm not very good at sanctification preaching and it, and it did lead itself very much to sanctification preaching, um, in the, in the very end and having a sanctification part. 
um, where I where I'm like, okay, now that you have been forgiven, what do you do with it? How how is it seen in your in your life? And I struggle with that in general. So I felt as if it was. I felt that I needed to <laughs> to ask for forgiveness in my congregation. Like that was law heavy, <laughs> and and so I um. I I know the gospel was there. I I know that the forgiveness of sins was preached to each individual person, um, and and not only that, but thank be to the Lord, we had communion, and so um, the forgiveness of sins was offered to them through that. But but I uh, I struggled with with it not only because I I kind of redid it in the ninth hour, but also um, I very much struggled with the text. The text is is very law heavy. Um, it, it, I mean, it is a, it is, it is, it is laying the hammer straight down on on uh, the elders and the chief priests and everything, and calling them out, and how that interacts with us. So, ahead of you is like the only like really shining gospel. <laughs> <They're>, yeah, <laughs> there's still time for you guys, but the rest of the text is is uh, uh, and. Uh, I think you did very well because in this text, it's very easy for us to disassociate from the elders and the Pharisees and say, that's not us. I mean, we're the people who say, we're, we're the ones actually doing, um, believing in Jesus as the Savior. These guys are rejecting him and they're rejecting his authority. And we are the ones who say, Jesus is our Lord. But to be able to apply that and say, you know, he has given us uh, keys. He has given us the ministry, the same ministry that John the Baptist has. And what are we saying? We're doing the same thing as we're saying yeah, I'm going to use this ministry, but then we don't. Just like in much the same way the elders are saying, we are, we're followers after God and we're going to do what he wants, but we are not really doing it. Well, and that's, and that was part of my, my law section was um, these chief priests and elders, they knew the answer. They knew it. It wasn't as if it was, I don't know, like they truly didn't know. They knew it. They thought about it. And like, if we if we say it was from heaven, we know exactly what the consequences are going to be. So it wasn't as if they didn't know. And I said, and 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 also I brought up, I said, their ministries were the same. Their call to to minister in the way of righteousness was the same call that John the Baptist had. They were to, they were called to do the same thing, um, but they didn't. So that was kind of my section in, you know, um, you know, we are called to that same ministry. And, and, and really my, my, my question was, how are you doing with it? That, that was my one question. And, and, and that's where, you know, when you make that reference to John the Baptist, um, you know, I always like to point out with this text that, you know, that's my gospel hook that, you know, this is John the Baptist already, you know, three years ago or four years ago, preparing the way to the cross. That when he was lifting up the, the low places and, and leveling out the high places, it was so that Jesus could stand here at the end of his ministry and say, where did his authority come from? And that, that he could silence the leaders of the Jews and they could realize we can't deal with this guy. We're, we're going to have to crucify him. We have no choice. You know, we've been silenced. Yeah. And, and that John the Baptist's way was not just a, a call, was a call to repentance, but it was also to prepare the way to the cross. And, and that's what we see here. And that this is Jesus' work to die for our sins. And that that was something God had prepared, you know, 
three years before he'd prepared it 33 years before when when Mary meant um, Elizabeth and and John the Baptist leapt in her womb that that this is what God was doing for our salvation because he knows he knows that we're gonna say yes and we're not gonna do it he knows and that's a sin and and he knows that we're gonna say we're gonna react badly and we're gonna say no and and that's as much a sin and and so he made that way straight to the cross. And that's what we see here. And so we are forgiven because, you know, God said yes, and then he did it. And that's his love for us. Well, you know, there's a lot of uh, beautiful things that you can you can attach to. And, and I, as I thought about it later, I thought, you know, how awesome to to hear the questioning of God's authority, of Jesus' authority before the disciples, right? The disciples are gathered, these these uh, chief priests and elders, they're coming in there, they're questioning God's authority. And then you jump to the book of Acts and you hear Peter's sermon to them. You killed the author of life. <laughs> um that same idea, the author, authority, you're, you're playing yeah. on the same concept. Um, you know, you were asking him a question at, to what authority did he have the right to speak? You killed the author. He, 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 yeah. he, he is it. Um, so there is, there's a yeah, step. And you're right. Yeah. That, that's the other beautiful thing of, of this is Jesus preparing his disciples so that they can go to the ends of the earth to share that gospel message so so we can hear it. Yep. So that, that authority is, is evident that this is not just a wise teacher. This is the son of God who who shut the mouth of, of every every leader, every Pharisee, every Sadducee. And he did it for us. Yeah. And I totally agree. And we were talking about it when we were doing the tech study. Um, and one of the things we talked about is the, the simple fact that he, he's not pulling back his punches anymore. Um, you know, he's, he is um, um, almost to the point as you see this, this week carry on, cause we're in Holy week. We're seeing that he no longer leaves the door open for them um, for the, for the, not for, it's not like he's shutting it for all people, but he's shutting it for them. And they, and they recognize that um, they recognize that, that, that their opportunities are now being removed. Um, and, and like you said, um, it's going to culminate in, we need to kill him. You got to get rid of him. We, we can't take this anymore. Um, which is, you know, the plan of uh, our Lord for our salvation, of course. So, like I said, I, a lot of loopholes. You can poke fun at my sermon and I will poke fun at my sermon. Um, I, I, I don't like to do that. I feel very uncomfortable waking up at four 30 in the morning on a Sunday and rewriting everything. Um, but I just, <laughs> the way it was before I, I, I would not have done the text justice at all. Um, at least not in, in any way, shape or form that I would have felt comfortable with. So. And, and that's the wonderful thing that, about being forgiven and that, you know, the Holy spirit works through his word is that, that you get to stand there in the peace of forgiveness and understand that, you know, God's power is at work through you. And how awesome is that, that, yeah. you know, they're going to leave comforted and, and built up and encouraged and, and one step closer to heaven because, God loves them and God loves you and and he wants to work through us. And, and what a joy is preachers that we get to do that. Uh, 
and and I love it. It's and awesome. even even when you look at it and you're like, I didn't do it very well. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, well, I uh, was really thankful that when you went back to your notes at four thirty in the morning, you didn't go to the obscure Masoretic texts that identified that John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have the same middle name. <laughs> <laughs> I always thought it was Kermit the Frog. But yeah. <laughs> Here I thought I was going to bring the show around. <laughs> no, That's it's always uh, an option. It's always, always an option. option. <laughs> There's still hope for me. <laughs> no, I, 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 what I really enjoyed is I, I think it, you know, just listening to all the sermons. Um, kind of being redone, you know, you can see the, 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 the beauty of the lectionary and how that all fits together. Right. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not the inventor of the lectionary. I'm, I'm not the one that cleans it up and looks back on and says, can we do it better? Those are for much smarter people than myself. Um, but I do find value in <clears throat> the, the, the hard work of other pastors, um, and, and godly people who said, we are going to codify the life of Christ for our people throughout the walk of the yearly lectionary. And we're going to surround those gospel golden nuggets with old Testament and new Testament that, that fill in right. And so beautifully um, these wonderful ways. So you have Ezekiel that I don't desire the death of, of the sinner. And yet we see the Lord desiring the death of his son who takes on the sin of the world. That's his desire. I don't desire for you to die, the Lord says, but I desire for my son to die for you. And then the son comes and he says, you know, um, I tried <laughs> to, to call you back, but, but you need me to go to the, you need me to, to go to the cross because you're not, you're not going to make it. And then, to, and then to be brought back to the cross, right. In, in the epistle reading to say, yeah, let's look back and see, in all of our failings, here's Christ who never failed in, in every walk. Um, just how it blends together is, is pretty nice. And I appreciate the, the epistle reading, especially because you know, we're, we're preaching to people who are in a different situation. Ezekiel and, and Christ were preaching to impenitent people. You know, Ezekiel before the... Those. What's that? We don't preach to any of those. <laughs> well, for by and large impenitent people. And mostly in our congregation, we have repentant people on a Sunday morning. You know, and, and so I, I like the fact that you have that alternate in the Philippians text to say, you know, now here here's something more. Here's that personal responsibility. But for forgiven people who are sorry for their sins, who know their Savior and His love and joy, the the part that I struggled with in this for this Sunday was the the gospel acclamation. Um, the the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit and a, a contrite heart. It was. I it was it just seemed off to me and oh no I love to get it. Really? I, I loved that because, because it comes right from the point of scripture of where, where the, the people of God are saying, we've done it. 
We've done everything according to the, the, the worship laws. And he's like, I didn't, I didn't ask you to, you, you missed the point. <laughs> but, and, and see, that's the, and, and see, that's, that's where, that's where I guess it seems off to me because it, it's a matter of, you know, in, in, in the old Testament, they're blaming God in the, in the second lesson, they're they're joyful. You know, he, he's urging that peace and that unity in the the gospel lesson. It's that call to repentance, and, and they're not feeling repentance. And so, I I don't know. It well, it's where I struggled, that, I guess. And that's all. And we all, you know, I struggled with my text. It's just it is. Um, but I, I think it's just a beautiful. Reminder, once again, right, that <clears throat> our Lord doesn't call us to do things. And if we do things in a certain way, then he will respond in a certain way. He calls us to receive. Um, and and God's people throughout all time, in all time, in all places, whether you're, you're um, looking ahead to the cross in the Old Testament or whether you are about to stand before the cross in the, in the gospel lesson or you are after the cross looking backwards upon uh, its bloodied beams, you realize that that God comes to serve his people and he uses the ordinary to do the extraordinary. And when we forget that he does this and we start focusing on ourselves, we've missed the point. We, we, we've completely missed the point. Um, and so he then gives to us continually that we may continue to give and we may continue to live and thrive and be a part of and join and 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 follow and work in the vineyard, um, not because of us, but because of him. I, I think that's the point of the that this particular season, or at least this particular set of verses. You mentioned vineyard. That's next week. The spoiler alert: Easter eggs in this episode. Although for next vineyard week. is mine too. You know, go out and work in my vineyard. Oh yeah, that's okay. All right. So, right. I mean, he uses it twice. <laughs> He can use this twice. <laughs> so, uh, Dave, do you know what you're preaching on next week? I think Philippians again. Oh, okay. All right. Yep. I, I picked Ezekiel because I have a paper on Ezekiel in a year. So that's kind of like what Dave was saying before the show. That's his. That's my white whale. So whenever Ezekiel comes up, I'm like, ooh, I want to tackle this. So, all right. Um, There is no Thursday show this week, so we'll see you guys next Tuesday for Beyond the Sermon.